Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, October 7th. I'm Teresa Watson. And I'm Leslie Palma. We are happy to be back for our full episode of the news after our abbreviated broadcast last week due to Hurricane Ian. We are happy to report that our headquarters and the homes of our local staff were not damaged and we are praying for those who were not so fortunate. In our top story tonight, we will meet with Melanie Standiford, a mother of 13, who was fired for circulating a pro-life petition at her church. We will bring you the desperate attempt by the Biden administration to strengthen abortion access. I will show you Katie Dorling's campaign ad that ironically supports abortion while celebrating the birth of her son in political news in a nutshell. You'll hear about Planned Parenthood's plan for a mobile abortion mill and other headlines in Abortion in the News. Leslie and I will be taking you on the road with Priests for Life as we share the events many of us attended these last few weeks. Be sure to stay tuned till the end for our new movie recommendation for the week and show you the trailer. A television news station in Nebraska fired its news director for circulating a pro-life petition at her church. Melanie Standiford, a mother of 13, also was the co-anchor at KNOP in North Platte until she was abruptly terminated last week, with station officials questioning her ability to be unbiased when reporting on abortion. In August, she brought a petition to her church in Curtis that was collecting signatures to have the town declared a sanctuary city for the unborn. A story on the effort and her involvement was reported by the Flatwater Free Press on September 30th. Melanie was notified that day that she was being terminated. Melanie is joining us to talk about what could be an illegal action on the part of Gray Television, the Georgia-based owner of KNOP. Hi, Melanie, and thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, Melanie, we're glad you're here with us. And um, how long have you been at KNOP? And has there ever been any indication that management was aware or unhappy with your pro-life stance? Um, I've been there for five years. Um, and I started as a journalist. And I worked my way up the ranks to be news director. And um, I reported on everything, community events, I've, uh, you know, from the little tiny things to the big stories. I've I've covered everything and um, I've had a couple times when, you know, I don't have a degree in journalism. So I've been told a little bit along the way, you know, we can't, you know, say this or say that. But in my reporting, it's always been balanced. And if you I I'm kind of confused because like right now, if you go on to um, unless they've taken it down since I've been terminated, I know as of last night, if you go on their pages, the gray media pages that are our sister stations in Nebraska, the reporting that I've done on abortion and some of these issues, those articles are still on their pages. So they're clearly not, you know, biased in any way or, or going against any kind of great policy for what would be as a journalist as far as coverage goes. Well, tell us about the petition you brought to your church and, and when that was. Okay, so um, I need to look at the calendar, but it was sometime in August. Um, or late July, and the petition came to our city. Um, a person in our church actually put that petition out there, um, and then it was at our church. And so while it was at our church, I had talked to other people of our congregation and said, you know, this, and it wasn't just me, it was other people in the church just kind of talked about the pastor, announced it, things like that. 
Well, I'm on our church council. Um, I'm actually the delegate for St. John's Lutheran Church in Curtis. And, and so I'm on the board. And while I was sitting there, people were signing it and I witnessed that. And then apparently once you witness a signature go on a petition, you're the person that has to turn it in to have it um, notarized. And so that's what I did. And then I also shared, it was shared with um, the Berean Church and um, the same thing there. You know, those things were um, notarized by me. So roughly 47 of the 80 some signatures were all gathered at our church or at the Berean Church. And a couple that, of people that go to our church that weren't in church that Sunday, then signed it outside of church. Well, Melanie, how did you get the news that you were being fired? I had Friday off. Um, I, I've told everybody I kind of do everything. I report, I anchor, I produce, I do web, I do payroll, you know, a little bit of everything. And so I found myself in a very short-staffed environment doing all of that. Um, even, you know, I think last week I slept on my office floor one day because I did the morning show and I did the night show. And so I took Friday off. And so I was home Friday and I got a text message from my direct supervisor saying they had an immediate need to be in North Platte, they, an unexpected need to be in North Platte. And they needed to talk about me, to me about something important and could I please meet them at six o'clock. Well, it's a 45 minute drive. And so I said yes. And so I got my kids settled and I got in my car and drove the 45 minutes to walk in and be told, this is your last day with Gray, please leave. <laughs> wow. Um, I tried, I wanted to take some of my stuff home, but I was so emotional that we decided it would be better to do it at a later time, um, just to go ahead and, cause I'm mostly concerned about my staff, um, the young kids that I brought from all over the country to work there. And so I was sad. Um, and then I, so I left and then my husband and my, uh, one of my daughters actually went back with me on Monday to clean out my office. Well, it sounds like they're gonna be scrambling without you, but do you have any legal recourse? I have one attorney that's digging through everything. He reached out to me and he's got hit one of his, he hit one of his attorneys and him are, are working on kind of deciding what this looks like. Um, what exactly Gray's policy was, because if they had a specific policy, the way they're wording it, like in quotations and newspapers and stuff, I'd never heard that. Um, I mean, clearly I'm not a journalist. I have a master's degree in international security and intelligence. I'm getting my PhD in forensic psychology. I've never had any journalist training, um, but clearly I know ethics and I know what's allowed and what's not. And this was in my church. This was with people that have known me my whole life. Like I was baptized in this church as an infant. These are people that it's a small town. We're the Easter city of Nebraska. They know I'm pro-life. They know I'm a Christian. And this was happening in my privacy of my own. Basically, I consider it my home. Um, and so they're stating policy that this is exactly what um, their policy is. And I know ethics. I know you can't go on and do this and this and this. And I, but I wasn't doing those things. I wasn't taking selfies by a pro-life sign saying, hey, sign this petition. If you're cool like me, you know, <laughs> I didn't do anything yeah. like that. Um, I had the pro-life chain, the, the prayer chain woman in North Platte told me that she thought I was pro-choice because I always quote both sides. I tell the, I quote the ACLU, I quote Planned Parenthood, I quote Mark Lee Dixon, you know, I do both sides. Mm -hmm. And so there was never any reason. This happened two months ago until this um, person from a, from a newspaper um, that's a liberal newspaper in Omaha decided to put my name in there, misquote me, misconstrue what I said, 
um, at the end of that conversation with her, I was very flustered. I started too early in the morning. I shouldn't have, it was, I was working till 3 a.m. I shouldn't have taken that phone call. And, but when she said, finally, she said, well, I'm a journalist, I have ethics. I would think that you would too. And I, I tried to explain, by this time I'm wanting to cry because I don't know how to deal with this. Um, I'm a kind person. I have a hard time when people are that way. I said, you know what, you know what, you're fine. My kids were like, mom, 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 in the background, wanting to get me, get ready for school. And I found, you know what, fine, you're right. I probably shouldn't have done it. I, I, I got to go. And so the quote that went in the Flatwater Prairie Press was, Melanie Standiford said, yeah, yeah, maybe, you're right, I shouldn't have done this. Wow. Well, it, it's such a, a shocking, you know, story, Melanie, but I have to ask, you've mentioned your family and some news reports have said that you're the mother of nine, but do you actually have 13 children? I have nine biological children, yes, and I have 13 altogether. Yeah. And you said, and you mentioned when we were chatting before that you homeschooled for 10 years? I did, I did. Much to my children's, <laughs> they like to tell me that it was not the best, you know, that I was mean to them. I made them do things. I made them learn all these things. So, but they're doing well. I have very successful children, the ones that are grown. And then I still have small children at home. Oh, well, I'm just a mother of three, and so I'm amazed by you. <laughs> and I just want to, I want to thank you for joining us and for your commitment to life. And I hope that everything, you know, works out for you. Thank you. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what my path is. I, I am, you know, a child of God first, a wife, a mother, those things come first. So we'll see what happens. Um, everything works to the good of God, you know, and so I think that he'll make something great out of this, even if it's drawing attention to the, to the issue of, you know, the importance of the unborn. So... Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely, Melanie. And we reached out to Shannon Booth, the vice president and general manager for Gray Television, for a comment on Melanie's firing. She did not get back to us, but in a statement to Nebraska Public Media, she said, KNOP can confirm that our life-standing company policy encourages civic involvement among our employees, so long as such activities do not give the appearance of interfering with journalistic impartiality. Booth said in a statement, in furtherance of that qualification, KNOP's news personnel are not permitted at any time and regardless of beliefs to actively engage in any political activity for any candidate, party, or ballot initiative. Um, 51 cities in the United States have declared themselves sanctuary cities for the unborn in an effort spearheaded by Mark Lee Dixon, the president of Right to Life of East Texas. If you want to learn more about the movement, go to sanctuarycitiesfortheunborn.com. Again, thanks so much, Melanie, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Biden and Kamala Harris convened their task force on reproductive health care access Tuesday to mark 100 days since Roe v. Wade was overturned. The meeting brought together cabinet secretaries and abortionists, with the latter introducing themselves with their preferred pronouns and speaking about pregnant people. The Associated Press described the White House gathering as a, quote, bureaucratic show of force that seemed to highlight the fact that the executive branch has few options for strengthening abortion access, although two steps toward that end were announced. The Department of Health and Human Services will release $6 million in new funding for family planning services, and the Department of Education will remind universities that federal law prohibits them from discriminating against pregnant students, including those who choose abortion. The two steps announced Tuesday are reminders of the administration's limited toolbox, the AP reported. 
Jennifer Klein, director of the White House's Gender Policy Council, said 30 million women of childbearing age now live in states where nearly all abortions are banned. The Democrats seeking election or re-election next month are focusing on abortion, while Republicans are campaigning on promises to rein in both the increasingly violent crime rate across the country and runaway inflation, issues that affect all 330 million Americans. And now we turn to political news around the country. Abortion was in the spotlight Tuesday when Governor Tony Evers, a Democrat running for re-election, called legislators into session to look for a way for voters to be able to repeal the state's 1849 abortion ban. But the Republican-controlled legislature gaveled in and out in 15 seconds, rejecting Evers' attempt to bring legal abortion back to the state. The move by Evers is the latest by Democrats in the battleground state to turn the November 8th election into a referendum on abortion. But Evers' opponent, Tim Michaels, Republican U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, and other Republicans are focusing instead on crime and public safety, arguing that Democrats have failed to keep state residents safe. A Marquette University Law School poll last month showed both the state's governor and Senate races to be about even, while a majority of voters support abortion rights. That same poll also showed crime and public safety to be issues of high concern among voters. The tactic of calling special sessions on hot-button political issues has been used repeatedly by Evers. In an effort to put Republicans on the spot, Evers have called special sessions on issues such as gun control and expanding Medicaid. They have never acted on any of the special session calls, including one in June, to repeal the state's abortion ban. Wisconsin clinics stopped performing abortions after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned, overturned Roe v. Wade as a legal fight plays out to determine whether the state's 1849 abortion ban is in effect. Michaels repeated, repeatedly voiced support for the ban, which has no exceptions for rape and incest during the Republican primary. But last month, Michaels reversed himself and said he would sign into law a bill granting exceptions for rape and incest. Nevada Democrats have held up their state as a national testing ground for how to win Latino votes in 2024. But with only 32 days until the midterm elections, there are warning signs at the doors, on the phones, and on the streets, Latinos are threatening to stay home. And that is despite the presence of the first ever Latina elected to the U.S. Senate, Catherine Cortez Masto, at the top of the ballot in a re-election bid. Organizers in both parties say that they see the same phenomenon developing, as do major Latino groups and the powerful Culinary Workers Union. Disgruntled over the economy and unhappy with their post-pandemic job quality, these voters, many of whom Democratic groups identify as once lifelong supporters, could sit this one out. That's on top of the usual challenges of turning out voters for midterm elections. A September 19th fall election memo from Equus Research, a group that studies trends within the Latino electorate, said Latinos unhappy with Democrats weren't necessarily defecting to Republicans. The memo said many Latino voters who in past elections have voted with Democrats are today persuadable, but Republicans have so far failed to win them over. It noted Democrats needed two-thirds of Latino voters to fend off GOP challenges, and Republicans needed one-third. Katie Darling, an account executive for a Louisiana tech company, 
was seven months pregnant when Roe v. Wade was overturned in June. Her pregnancy had been classified as high risk and told the Washington Post on Monday that if something went wrong, my doctors wouldn't know what kind of care they were allowed to provide me. Her first reaction was to tell her husband they needed to immediately move out of Louisiana. Her second reaction was to stay and run for Congress. This week, she released a campaign ad that is receiving a lot of attention. Here is the ad. I'm Katie Darling, and I live on a farm in St. Tammany Parish. Our family composts, collects rainwater, and grows our own food. My husband and daughter help take care of the chickens. And there's someone else who's going to be joining us and helping to pitch in with farm life very soon. But these days, I worry about storms that are stronger and more frequent because of climate change, about our kids underperforming public schools, and about Louisiana's new abortion ban, one of the strictest and most severe in the country. We should be putting pregnant women at ease, not putting their lives at risk. I haven't spent my career in Washington. I've worked my way up from bartender to CEO. Now, I help nurses organize our complicated health records. Because nurses aren't just heroes, they're saints. Louisiana deserves better than the path we're on. I'm Katie Darling, and I'm running for Congress because I want that better path. For you, for her, and for him. Darling's comment, I am grateful for my medical care, but I've heard countless stories from people with pregnancy complications who would have died without care that is now banned, is based on misinformation spread repeatedly by pro-abortion Democrats and echoed in the media. But Dr. Christina Francis, incoming CEO of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, testified before a congressional subcommittee that false claims abound, that state abortion restrictions will prevent physicians from being able to treat ectopic pregnancies, miscarriage, and other life-threatening complications in pregnancy. This is blatantly absurd, as not a single state law restricting abortion prevents treating these conditions. Though it is not mentioned in the ad, Darling's campaign website notes that she supports the Radical Women's Health Protection Act, which would legalize taxpayer-funded abortion throughout pregnancy and repeal every national and state-level law offering protection to the unborn, their mothers, and healthcare workers. Pro-lifers have noted the irony of the ad, celebrating the birth of her son while supporting death by abortion for other babies. Darling is a long shot in a race against House Republican Whip Steve Scalise, who has represented the first congressional district in New Orleans since 2008. In politics, under traditional circumstances, the charge that a candidate had once paid for a girlfriend's abortion would be a campaign killer, especially in the final month before an election. But so far, at least, that is not the case with Herschel Walker and the accusation that the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate from Georgia paid for the abortion of a girlfriend in 2009. Walker denies the claim and has threatened legal action. Since the Daily Beast published that accusation on Monday, the one-time University of Georgia football grade had what his campaign called a record-breaking fundraising day, $182,000, 50000 of which came in during Walker's appearance Monday night on Sean Hannity's TV show. 
In addition, pro-family groups show no sign of abandoning Walker in his neck-and-neck -neck contest with Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock. We've seen this movie before, Ralph Reed of the Faith and Family Coalition told reporters. They're trying to take down a good man. Herschel Walker has denied these allegations in the strongest possible terms, and we stand firmly alongside him. Mallory Carroll of the pro-life Susan B. Anthony list told reporters Tuesday, the same unbending support for Walker was voiced by National Republicans, Senator Rick Scott, representative from Florida, chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, who said, Republicans stand with him. On a side note, we at Pro-Life Primetime News believe that even if this accusation were true, which we hope is not the case, Walker's current pro-life stance does not become tarnished. Many former abortion advocates have become unapologetically pro-life after experiencing the horror of being involved in an abortion. One case in point is Dr. Bernard Nathanson, an architect of the movement to legalize abortion, who oversaw some 60,000 abortions and performed 5,000 himself, even aborting his own son. Dr. Nathanson eventually rejected abortion on scientific grounds. He was welcomed by the pro-life movement and became an outspoken advocate for the unborn. In the Bible, Luke 6.37 says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And that's political news in a nutshell. The FBI has raided the home of a second pro-lifer and charged him and another 10 people for violating the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances, or FACE Act. Chester Gallagher was out of state when FBI agents arrived at his home in Lebanon, Tennessee, to arrest him in connection with a rescue effort in March 2021 in Mount Joliet, Tennessee. Pro-lifers gathered in the hallway outside the Carafem abortion business there, singing, praying, and convincing at least one mother to walk away from her abortion appointment. Eleven of those present are now being charged with committing FACE Act violations. On September 23rd, the FBI sent more than a dozen agents to the Pennsylvania home of pro-life activist Mark Hawk, charging him with violating the FACE Act outside a Philadelphia abortion mill a year ago. Also, Father Fidelis Mozinski, a priest of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, was charged with FACE Act violations last week after allegedly padlocking a gate outside a Planned Parenthood abortion mill on Long Island in July. A first conviction of a FACE Act violation is a misdemeanor punishable by up to a year in prison. Subsequent violations are considered felonies and can lead to sentences of more than 10 years in federal prison. In what the nation's number one abortion seller describes as our act of defiance, Planned Parenthood has announced plans to send its first ever mobile abortion mill to the Illinois border with Missouri. Abortion is legal in Illinois but banned in Missouri. The 37-foot van will have a lab, two exam rooms, and a waiting room, and will offer chemical abortion at first, adding first trimester surgical abortion early next year. Eric Scheidler, executive director of the Illinois-based Pro-Life Action League, commented on Planned Parenthood's newest venture. The real reason Planned Parenthood is launching this abortion truck is to corner the interstate abortion market in Illinois. Abortion providers in Tennessee, Ohio, Indiana, and other nearby states have announced plans to move their operations just inside the Illinois border, and Planned Parenthood wants to muscle out the competition, Scheidler said. But just consider the bloodthirstiness of this scheme, an RV driving around looking for unborn children to abort. One is reminded of the mobile gas chambers employed by the Third Reich. 
Sheryl Sandberg left her number two position at Facebook September 30th and announced just days later that she will donate $3 million to the American Civil Liberties Union to help it fight laws across the country that are protecting the unborn from abortion. We must keep up the fight to defend our right to choose and protect abortion access, said Sandberg, one of the most prominent female business executives in the country. Sandberg was a major donor to Planned Parenthood during her 14-year tenure at Facebook. An abortion business in Phoenix has devised a way that will let it continue to facilitate abortion in a state where it is now banned. Under the arrangements, patients will have an ultrasound in Arizona, get a prescription through a telehealth appointment with a California doctor, and then have it mailed to a post office in a California border town for pickup, with the Abortion Fund of Arizona covering the cost of the pills. When Arizona's abortion ban was enacted September 23rd, Camelback Family Planning had doctors in Sweden writing prescriptions for the deadly pills and then having a pharmacy in India mail them to pregnant women in Arizona. The new arrangement is a more efficient way to kill babies. Kathy Herod, president of the Pro-Life Center for Arizona Policy said, I'm not surprised that the abortion industry would care more about their bottom line and about selling pills than they would about taking care of women. It seems that wherever there's a law protecting babies from abortion, the Satanic Temple will show up to file a lawsuit against it. The Godless Group filed a suit last week that seeks to overturn Idaho's abortion ban on the grounds that aborting, aborting babies is a religious ritual. The group filed a similar lawsuit in Indiana. Within the past decade, it has filed numerous lawsuits in different states to overturn pro-life laws, though its attempts thus far have failed. The Satanic Temple is not only interested in abortion. Life News reported earlier this year that the group started a club for elementary school students in Belleville, Illinois. And finally, National Pro-Life Cupcake Day got some unexpected publicity this week when a frozen custard company apologized for promoting the day. Cops Frozen Custard, with three stores in Milwaukee, promoted its Hey Cupcake Custard flavor in connection with Cupcake Day coming up this Sunday. Linking National Pro-Life Cupcake Day with our long-running flavor, Hey Cupcake, was an oversight on our part and an honest mistake, cops said in a statement on Twitter. It was never our intention to get political and appear as though we have taken a side in this ongoing debate. The company mentioned the pro-life observance in its October Flavor Forecast brochure, prompting calls from angry, presumably pro-abortion customers. The company promises to be more diligent in the future when linking its custard to national holidays. And that's abortion in the news. Priests for Life wants you to come with us on the road as we minister to the pro-life movement nationwide. We hope it inspires and encourages you as much as the events themselves inspire and encourage us. On September 23rd, Father Frank Pavone was part of a live panel discussion at the Texas Faith, Family, and Freedom Forum in Austin. He had the opportunity to meet with Jonathan Sens, the president of Texas Values, and Colonel Alan West. You may recall in a previous Priest for Life on the Road segment, we told you about Father Frank and our production team visiting JMJ Pregnancy Center in Orlando. Well, Father Frank Pavone had the opportunity on September 24th to be the guest speaker at the JMJ Pregnancy Center banquet, where some of the taped footage was also presented. After the banquet, Father Frank spoke with and blessed the Catholic high school girls who helped to set up and make sure the evening's event went smoothly. Father Frank spoke at two 40 Days for Life events on Sunday, September 25th. He was with Matt Britton from the 40 Days for Life leadership team. They attended events at the Santa Fe Elks Club and Southwestern Women's Options in Albuquerque. There was a strong silent and more presence at Southwestern Women's Options, the, an abortion mill that is one of the most notorious late-term abortion centers in the nation. They kill babies even in the third trimester. 
Father Frank also met with former U.S. Congressman Bill Redmond of New Mexico's 3rd District and pro-life attorney Michael Seibel in Santa Fe, where Father Frank spoke to a group of pro-life activists. On Sunday, October 2nd, at the start of Respect Life Month, I was able to, along with Janet Marana, the Executive Director of Priests for Life, to help organize and participate in the first life chain held at Divine Mercy Catholic Church in Merritt Island, Florida, where we both live. Life Chain is a peaceful and prayerful public witness of pro-life individuals standing for 90 minutes praying for our nation and for an end to abortion. It is a visual statement of solidarity by the Christian community that abortion kills children and that the church supports the sanctity of human life from the moment of conception until natural death. Signs are held proclaiming abortion kills children, adoption the loving option, Jesus forgives and heals, Lord, forgive us and our nation. This was the 35th year that Life Chain Sunday was held in our nation. Over 60 people joined us in praying for an end to abortion in Merritt Island. Part rally, part revival, Ohioans who oppose abortion flooded the Ohio State House's West Lawn before marching through the streets of Columbus Wednesday afternoon. Say it like you actually believe it, that nothing is too hard for God, that nothing is impossible for God. Let me hear you say all things, proclaimed Aaron Baer, president of the Center for Christian Virtue, referencing Ohio's motto of, with God, all things are possible. All things, the crowd replied, as Baer punctuated it with an amen. The first Ohio March for Life, organized by the same group that leads the Washington, D.C. March every January, was a show of support for ending abortion access in Ohio from the point of conception. Ohio's Republican lawmakers are poised to, ba to ban nearly all abortions when they return to Columbus after the November elections. Brian Kemper, president of Stand True and director of youth outreach here at Priests for Life, was at the march in Ohio representing Priests for Life. Here's Brian at the start of the march. Ohio, just getting lined up here in the streets. Uh, the beginning of the march will be right here. State House is behind us. And uh, that's where most of the people are at, coming over from the stage right now. They're starting to get lined up as we get going. Beautiful day here in Columbus, Ohio, as we're standing up against the killing of innocent preborn children. Uh, Roe versus Wade has been overturned with the Dobbs v. Jackson case, but we still have a lot of work to do to completely abolish abortion, stop the killing of innocent children that's going on in our nation. And so I'm here in Ohio. Uh, I live in Ohio, but I'm here in Columbus uh, at the Ohio March for Life, uh, standing up, being a voice for life here uh, and uh, we're excited that we get to stand and walk and we're excited that there's these state marches that are going on. So I'm here representing Priests for Life, Father Frank and Janet and everybody uh, for, the, for the March for Life here in Ohio. So I'm gonna go ahead and get ready to get in the line, but I just wanted to greet everybody, say hello and ask everybody to stand up and be a voice for life. Life does not just begin at the time the heartbeat is detected. Life begins at conception, said Representative Jenna Powell from Arcanum, Ohio. The shackles are no longer holding us back as state legislators, and we can and we must be a voice for unborn children here in the state of Ohio. Brian Kemper said at the end of the march, what an amazing day to gather at the Ohio State House with politicians, faith leaders, and pro-lifers for the first ever Ohio March for Life. Seeing a great young state representative like Jenna Powell, whose first campaign my son worked on, taking such a lead role in pro-life work here was inspiring. Seeing some old friends from other states come to Ohio to support the march was refreshing, and I can't, cannot wait to march along with them at other state marches and the National March for Life. The pro-life community is coming out in force as we show the world that we are the generation that will abolish abortion. 
Janet Marana and I traveled to Vero Beach, Florida on Wednesday evening to visit a caring center for women, a beautiful pregnancy center which supports, educates, and helps make adoption plans for pregnant women in the area. We met with the owner, Jerry Rorick, who gave us a tour of this amazing facility and explained their five-year history. After our visit at a caring center, we went to St. Helen Catholic Church, where Janet was the guest speaker at their 14th annual rosary prayer service, sponsored by the Respect Life Committee. Thank you for joining us on the road with Priests for Life. We have another movie recommendation for our viewers, although you will have to wait a bit to see it. Mother Teresa, No Greater Love, played in 960 theaters across the country for two days only this week, marking the 25th anniversary of the death of the woman also known as St. Teresa of Calcutta. The documentary was produced by the Knights of Columbus and directed by Emmy Award winner David Nolari, whose work includes the film Liberating a Continent, John Paul II, and The Fall of Communism. In his review, Catholic film critic John Mulderig wrote, Boldly pro-life, Mother Teresa was also a pioneer in providing fearless medical care to AIDS patients in the early days of the disease, a time when many people shunned them. Another film critic, Andrew Petropin of the Word on Fire Institute, noted that when Mother Teresa stood on a global stage in 1997 as the winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, she used her acceptance speech to advocate for the unborn, telling the world, the greatest destroyer of peace today is the cry of the innocent unborn child. The nations that have legalized abortion, they are the poorest nations. Mother Teresa, No Greater Love will return to theaters next month and we're looking forward to it here at Priests for Life. Our national director, Father Frank Pavone, visited Mother Teresa and her missionaries of charity in India and photos of that visit line the walls of our headquarters. Here's the trailer to give, give us a glimpse of what to expect.
Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you will join us every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We hope you will support this show and all of our broadcasts, including Just Ask Janet, our daily masses, and Father Frank's broadcast by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priest for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating the pro-life community to end abortion. Do you have an idea for a story? Are you someone whose baby was saved because of the help of a sidewalk counselor? Would you like to expose something in the abortion industry? Then please email us at media at priestsforlife.org. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. And I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.